Welcome to another episode of The Old Lighthouse, casting historical light on current affairs. I'm Alex, and today I'm joined by Hallam and Hannah, and we'll be looking at Britain's often fraught relationship with Europe. Another day, another story about Brexit. On the 11th of April, the BBC reported that Michel Barnier, the European Union's chief Brexit negotiator, had questioned the UK government's commitment to remove Britain from the EU's single market, as well as its political structures, upon its exit from the bloc. These exit negotiations are becoming increasingly heated and fraught, with the UK trying to unpick 40 years of membership within the time frame of a two-year withdrawal process. While we're all familiar with the 2016 referendum that signalled the desire of the British people to leave the EU, in this week's podcast we'll chart the history of Britain and Europe over the past 50 years and ask whether the exit path was inevitable from the beginning. If you want to understand why six European nations came together in 1957 to sign the Treaty of Rome and form the European Economic Community, it is crucial to consider the context of the Second World War. Mainland Europe had been devastated in every sense by the war, and the EEC was devised as a way of closely aligning and integrating the economies of Europe to such a degree that war between them would be impossible in the future. With even victorious nations like France suffering the humiliation of invasion and occupation before their eventual liberation, few nations on the continent found anything positive for their own nations in the aftermath of the conflict. This is in stark contrast with Britain's national conversation, stoked by its political leaders, of a defiant island nation having resisted invasion and claimed victory. Britain was offered a place at the negotiating table to shape the EEC as founding members, but declined. Britain, of course, has a history both with and as a part of Europe, stretching back thousands of years. From Romans to Vikings and Normans, Britain has been undeniably shaped and moulded in its long history by influences from across Europe. Far from being a long-held, ingrained tradition, the British notion of ourselves as an island alone is largely a recent one, stemming from Britain's imperial vocation in the 19th century, ruling territories across the globe and competing with other European nations in the process. It is no coincidence, therefore, that the change in the British attitude towards European engagement and involvement occurred precisely as its imperial fortunes were in deep decline. The two decades after the end of the Second World War in 1945 witnessed a swift and rapid process of decolonisation. By 1962, the former US Secretary of State Dean Acheson famously quipped that Britain had lost an empire and has not yet found a role. Concerned about its economic decline relative to the rest of Europe, Britain applied to join the EEC multiple times in the 1960s, before finally joining as a member in 1973. A 1975 referendum confirmed the decision, with the British backing membership by a ratio of 2 to 1. Throughout its membership of the EEC, and then from 1992, the EU, Britain was characterised as Europe's awkward partner, being the most sceptical to further European integration. One of Margaret Thatcher's first diplomatic acts as Prime Minister was to go to Brussels and demand a rebate of British contributions to the budget, throwing diplomatic niceties out of the window, arguing for our money back. The German Chancellor got his cars to rev their engines outside, and the French President pretended to fall asleep. Yet she persisted, and by 1984 a budget rebate was agreed. Successive British Prime Ministers have felt the need to show they are driving a hard bargain with Brussels, from John Major's refusal to sign up to the Single Currency and Social Chapter, to David Cameron's demands for reform before the referendum. Even Prime Ministers more inclined to Europeanism, such as Tony Blair, had to posture to the contrary. Perhaps it is little wonder that it was difficult in 2016 for politicians to make a positive case for remaining a member of the EU, given this historical context. However, what is often forgotten in the contemporary debate is the role Britain has played in shaping the structures of today's European Union. 
The EU's single market provides for the free movement of goods, services and people within it via a standardised system of laws and regulations aimed at increasing competition and specialisation. The single market was a direct result of the work of Margaret Thatcher's Commissioner to the European Commission, Lord Cofield, who has been called the father of the single market. In signing the Single European Act in 1986, Mrs Thatcher took one of the most significant steps towards European integration any British Prime Minister has ever undertaken. By choosing to exit the single market upon its departure from the EU, the UK is, ironically, turning its back on its own creation. So, do you guys have any thoughts on this? Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite interested in the role of the media. How does the media either shape or reflect, and how has it shaped and reflected uh, attitudes to our relationship with Europe? What role has it played in what you've talked about? Yeah, I would say it's really crucial. Um, I mean, the the popular press was quite pro-European from um, British entry in 1973 until about the late 1980s. And many scholars have argued that this is due to Britain's relative economic performance as compared to the rest of Europe. In the late 1970s, Britain was being outperformed regularly by the EEC members, whereas by the late, late 80s, that had switched entirely. And um, you get headlines like the Sun's famous Up Yours Delors with the two fingers in reference to the uh, president of the European Commission, Jacques Delors. And all the biggest selling tabloids in Britain now, the Sun, the Mail, the Express, are all quite hostile to Europe and to um, the European identity and the European ideal. Hmm. Well, um, also with Northern Ireland, they're um, a hot topic at the moment. How, I mean, what's happening with Northern Ireland with this? Yeah, well, the issues with Northern Ireland comes through for the fact that after Brexit, um, it will be the UK's only land border with a not with an EU country, um, and the government's current plans to leave the European Single Market and Customs Union would, by logic, entail the reintroduction of a hard border, um, border checks between the North and the South. And this would be in direct violation of the Good Friday Agreement, which is 20 years old this year, which is the definitive step towards peace in Northern Ireland. And many fear that the reintroduction of any type of border controls along the north-south border could see a return to the terrorist troubles um, that characterise yeah that characterise so much of the late twentieth century in Ireland. Mm. And if we want to find out more, was a good place to start in terms of reading. Yeah, if you do want to find out some more, I'd really recommend um, John W. Young's Britain and European Unity, nineteen forty-five to nineteen ninety-nine. Um, which is great for the historical perspective because it doesn't really spend too much talking about Brexit. Um, and a particularly good case study is Robert Saunders' recent book, Yes to Europe, which is looking at the 1975 referendum and asking why the result um, didn't bring the European debate in Britain to a close as many had hoped. So that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to download PDF transcripts of this episode, complete with references and citations, you can do so by going to our podcast homepage. See you next time.